0: hey everybody it's eric dryman uh coming to you live from fire department instructors conference 2023 Uh, i'm the host of the hooks and hoses podcast thanks for tuning in today got my uh, friend jake barnes here with me another uh currently a hoosier boy um from southern part of the state um welcome jake thanks brother glad to be on Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for the folks who uh, are just being introduced to you for the first time
1: sure so uh, i work in new albany indiana all the way south uh the best part of indiana and i'm the training officer there uh prior to that i worked for lexington kentucky uh fire department and then i got my start in uh, the air force as a firefighter Mm -hmm. and uh, also podcaster like yourself
0: yep has his own podcast the three-point firefighter so check it out uh If you have time Uh, after you've listened to the hooks and hoses podcast, of course, absolutely that uh, that goes without (laughs) saying. So um, so we are here live at FDIC, the Fire Department Instructors Conference, the largest conference in the in the world. Um, So when we think about FDIC, we think about training, we think about learning new things, we think about uh, getting better at our at our craft. Um, So as we go through that, Jake and I were were talking before the the podcast about, you know, what are we going to talk about, you know, different areas we want to. We want to discuss, and, and one of the things that we we kind of came up with was talking about um, the science and how some of the science has changed over the years. Um, and, it, and it seems like you know we've we've had the science for a while now uh, that we've been that we've been trying to digest and learn. I think for for many of us, we've kind of finally um, embraced it. You know, as, as an as a industry, um, and, and starting to understand how important it is to know know what that science is and how it works and what we've been doing is hasn't always been wrong. It's just maybe the way we were applying it in certain, some circumstances right. wasn't quite right. So, um, so we're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about training and how we can make training a little bit more realistic, uh, or not r- realistic versus <laughs> relevant. We had this debate before, yeah. before we started. Um, so we were just trying to decide what to call it. So realistic versus relevant. And some of those points, uh, uh, So as we get going, Jake, uh, I know you're you're heavily involved in uh, in a lot of the scientific um, background of the uh, of the fire service today, and your basement fire class, and and traveling around the country and doing the seventeen hundred program now, and fourteen oh three programs that you do. Um, You know, I know we've we've got similar time in the in the fire service, so so you know we don't have all the exact same experiences, but. uh, but we're roughly the same age, so some of our experiences are probably very similar. But I know that there's, there's certainly a lot that's changed since I was first introduced to, to the fire service back in the early 90s. Um, where are some things that you think, based upon your experiences and your travels, where you think we're starting to get it right? Um, and what, some areas where you think we're maybe still have a little bit to, to go with the science and some of the new thought process?
1: Yeah, the, the science is out there for us. The work has been done. The heavy lifting has been done. And uh, like you mentioned, I, I work for the ISFSI, uh, kind of my side hustle. Mm-hmm. And they work right along with FSRI and NIST. And so that information comes straight to us, and we, we're we able to push it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the problem that I'm seeing, though, is people don't necessarily – want to embrace it all the way because they've had experiences Mm -hmm. that they feel are the real thing and not the science. Yeah. And one of them, the biggest one that I've seen is um, the fact about pushing fire. Mm -hmm. People swear to this day, I've got people that are been in fire service longer than me and higher ranks than me. And they will argue that, no, no, I've seen water push fire. Water pushes fire. And I tell them it doesn't. And what they don't realize is they're looking from their their only perspective. And I usually follow it up with, well, if you think water pushes fire, the, ex- the time you're thinking about it happening, what was the ventilation profile? Was was the front door open? Was a window open? Was uh, the roof open? Because that is going to change the fire's, the, the flow path, right? It's gonna mm. go from high to low, uh, and you know, high pressure, low pressure. And if you're there and you're spraying water, unfortunately the fog nozzle, sounds like, uh, yeah. Then I think you're you're just making you know correlation and causation two different things, uh-huh. so I have to have that argument seems like a lot, yeah. a lot of times.
0: So would you say there's a difference between saying that that we can push fire, but versus we can push heat? Oh, that's a I really have. good question. Yeah.
1: Expand on that
0: because I have my own opinion. I, well, we may not necessarily push fire. I think that. Um, depending upon how you apply water and what the ventilation profile is you can push that heat wave or that that extremely superheated air mm-hmm. and certainly the superheated gases that are present from a fire may not push the fire you know itself but I, I do feel like I've experienced situations where that heat that you, that heat front is mm-hmm. pushed as a result of the air currents that are created either by misapplication of the water or just you know, maybe not misapplication, but just applying the water with with limited ventilation. Right. I do feel like that, um, that does happen, even though you may say, well, we don't technically push fire. I think we, in some instances, can push heat.
1: That sounds reasonable. And it kind of makes sense with what we're doing uh, inside that fire when, mm-hmm. when we are creating a low pressure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you think about it, you know. Heat is high pressure mm-hmm. and the cool air is the low pressure and heat always wants to go to low. It makes sense if we're going in there that we are actually creating a low, pre- if we're doing it right, a lower pressure. Mm-hmm. Along those lines though, think about this. If you haven't effectively ventilated and coordinated with a fire attack team, mm-hmm. say say for example, you have a, a, a bi-directional flow path through a door mm-hmm. and you're going in and apply water and put that fire out. Well, if you don't have the right ventilation, that low pressure that low pressure you're making is now going to be behind you. So, mm-hmm. what's that fire going to want to do? Yeah. If you don't have effective ventilation on the other side or above, however you do it, it's going to come over you. Mm-hmm. So, I, I agree, and I think that it's something. Another big problem we have is coordinated uh, ventilation. I would agree. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've seen it time and time again where our default setting is: we go to the roof, we cut a four by four hole, uh, we open it up. Go on the radio and say, "Okay, we, get, we got a hole." At no time mm-hmm. do you hear, "Hey, we're on the roof." Uh, what are the inside conditions? You know, mm-hmm. Just do give a roof report. What's going on? Uh, mm-hmm. And then let the company know inside, "Hey, we're getting ready to open this uh, this vent hole because we have to work together." And mm-hmm. I think we're basing a lot of our success on on lack of failure. Right. We do it all mm-hmm. the time, and nobody got hurt. Look at the Challenger. It was the same exact thing.
0: Yeah. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think you know, particularly. I see it less with vertical ventilation than I do with horizontal ventilation, but I think um, both of them are important, um, but especially horizontal ventilation. You think about, when we do vertical vent, normally, at least in, in our organization, you've got eight people or six people stretching hand lines while typically two or three people are going to the roof. Mm-hmm. So those hand lines can, barring any sort of snafu or difficult forcible entry, are going to be inside prior to the roof getting popped Mm -hmm. but that's not the same when you've got a truck crew a member of a truck crew with a flathead axe or a pike pole and all they have to do is walk around to the side of the house or the side of the building and they can take class and they many times will beat the engine company in if they're not cognizant of the need to coordinate that and i do think that uh, i know just in my teachings and and dealings with on the street is i always tried to focus on making sure that we coordinate um with that with that crew inside, making sure that you're here in the water, you know, trying to identify where the fire is. Don't break glass where it's gonna potentially draw fire or draw that heat mm-hmm. into an area that we don't want it, right? because um, at the end of the day, you know, people say, well glass is cheap. Okay. You know in the grand scheme of things for a home, that may be true, but at the same time, uh people aren't cheap. If we just break glass because it's cheap. Yep. And we have that mindset, then we could potentially end up hurting our firefighters or killing or in severely injuring a victim. Uh, yeah. What if you open up the
1: wrong window yeah. and there's, you know, little Timmy in his Spider-Man pajamas right below that <laughs> right. window? Right. Yeah. So, it, it you know, ventilation is it, it's a science and an art. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's treated as just a step or yeah. it's not treated with the humility it should be treated with, that it is literally going to change everything about that building. Mm-hmm. Now, and you're hoping that you change it strategically and you have somebody coming in with water mm-hmm. to, to do the, the rest of the work. So when I see people opening up roofs without co- coordinated ventilation, the argument is always, well, I'm making it better for the guys inside and the victims inside because I'm, I'm getting that heated gas and stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yes, but if you haven't coordinated and there's a, a hiccup with that line, then what's going to happen is that... Fire is now going to get worse. It's going right. to get it worse. Will. So mm-hmm. you got to you got to add that second step. The first step is yeah, you're right. It's gonna it's gonna make everything better inside if I vertically vent. But if you do not get water on that fire, mm-hmm. you've literally done the opposite. You've right. created a problem now. Yeah. So I, I kind of get on a kind of get on a soapbox about that because I feel like we really just just do it to do it. We don't. Right. We're, we're firefighters are smart. Uh, even truckies to an extent. Mm-hmm. And we should use our intelligence. We, sh- we should go, you know what? We're smart people. Let- do we have to vent? Mm-hmm. We don't have to vent every single
0: time. No, 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 no. No, I was just um, at a class, and I won't say where it was or when it was, but just at a recent um, live fire program where we were using a burn building, and I had some people helping me out, um, doing a great job. You know, they, we'd knock down the fire in between groups, in between evolutions, so they would open the vent the window vent to vent the heat you know in their words vent the heat from the fire room so they could go back in and and reload it uh reset the props all that sort of thing but what they didn't realize was that initially the heat yeah that you're getting the heat out when the fire is initially knocked down but at some point the return on your investment to open that horizontal vent goes away and they were like man i can't believe how hot it is we've got the vent open and i said you know the reason it's getting so hot is because you're allowing all this fresh air in. Yep. And you know the fuel just part of the reason that the fuel did not burning is because you knocked certainly because you cooled it and knocked the fire down. But now you've let all that steam, everything out. You're letting fresh air in, and guess what? The fire's taken off. Right. And you know, I use I say that you know you can use a, a Weber charcoal grill is a is an excellent fire behavior tool. And you can you can demonstrate it when, or any, even a gas grill, but uh, I'm a charcoal guy. So when you're when you're cooking, mm-hmm. what what do you have when you're cooking to, to control the amount of heat you have in a say a grill? You've got uh, a you vent get, yeah, vent you on vent. the bottom, yeah. vent on the top, right? Yeah. What happens when you open the vent on the top and the vent on the bottom? And the temperature goes up. You yeah. open the lid, you get a flare up. What happens when you shut the lid? It goes down. It, go, it goes out, right? Like That's that. isolation. That's controlling the flow path. You know, you've got a flow path there. I mean, it's simple as. We're grilling a hamburger right you got flow path you got fire conditions you're dealing with you can isolate the fire room in this case the grill fire goes out makes the, you know
1: that's how i know you're a true fire nerd <laughs> that you're cooking at your house and you're going huh and you're you're doing flow hey, path man. with your, your burgers i love between it. between love
0: my it. between my grill and my fireplace my kid have had more fire kids have had more fire behavior uh, classes than probably most kids in recruit school. I mean, we, we, we don't do it so much now because they're just like, Oh God, dad, can't we just start the fire? Can't we just make some s'mores? Not everything has to be educational. So I kind of laid off, but yeah, when they were all younger, man, I was, I was like, look at this and this is why this happens. And, that is and awesome. uh, so, I'm totally yeah. stealing that man. That is awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what about, uh, what about training? Let's kind of Take that other side that we were talking about or i brought up earlier for the let me stop just a second i know it's uh it's almost 10 30. my understanding is that at 10 30 uh the bagpipe band is going to be coming through so it's probably if you we probably already got a little bit of background noise just from the foot traffic but my guess is it's going to get really loud uh, here in just a very short time with the bagpipes and the drummers coming through my hope is that we could continue the podcast and have a conversation but it, if we have to stop for the noise, just bear with us, and we'll get back on on, uh, on track as soon as uh, the noise level allows. But uh, so we, you know, we were talking about we're here at the greatest fire fire conference in the world, um, all this knowledge here, and, and we've t- we were talking a little bit earlier before the show started about how to go about um, making sure that the people that were the training that we're providing is uh, relevant and practical and applicable. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the fires we're going to. And, you know, we've probably both had um, horror story experiences where we've been put in situations, um, you know, something's demonstrated once real quick, maybe on a fire ground, and then you're immediately thrust into it, and you got instructors yelling at you, and you got instructors, um, you know, that say you have to do it blacked out the first time, and it might be a complex skill or even a simple skill that you've just never been introduced to before. Mm -hmm. I think those leave, as you say, you know, those training scars, right? Right. Um, and, and our whole goal is to try and uh, eliminate those. Whether it's don't put the fire completely out because we got to let the next group come in and oh, you yeah. know restoke the fire that creates training scars. Yes. Um, you know these other instances where we're putting people in and just hammering them from the get go can create training scars. So how do we, you know, what are some things that you think you, you, through your experiences we can do to help minimize those training scars and help make the training? Particularly the hands-on training, but all training in general, to, uh, a little better for our for our firefighters.
1: When it comes to to like new recruits, we have to realize our job isn't to abuse them. Right. It's not to find out what they can take. Mm-hmm. You know how much heat can you take and how yeah. much yelling. That's that's yeah. an antiquated thought. It, mm-hmm. it is a generational issue, mm-hmm. and if you're still doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah. With that said, I have seen some stuff that Miami does that they're not abusing anybody, but they take a more military approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fine. It's Mm -hmm. when you have people that just like you said, they'll just get new people and they'll throw them in something and say, go to work and scream and yell and make it as difficult as possible. You're not creating a firefighter. uh, You're creating a victim that's what you're doing. And we have to realize as instructors, we know that one of the, one of the first rules of uh, being a good instructor is knowing your audience. Mm -hmm. You know, how you got to know your audience and how you're going to present to your audience. Well, recruits are the same way. Um, To me, they're probably the bravest people we have because they joined our department. Mm -hmm. They made that, they're they're like, okay, I'm going to take a very dangerous job. I'm going to involve my family because of shift work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, heart attacks, cancer, all this stuff, they, they're they brave by just taking the job. So we don't need to test their mettle. You know, what we need to do is we need to teach them. Yeah, We just need to teach them. My favorite thing is when people say, and I've heard this a lot, and I always use a chainsaw as an example uh, because that's what I do here a lot. Chief, I, can you believe it's this guy never started a chainsaw? Oh my God. I'm like, and? Yeah. Well, you know, but why are we hiring these people? I'm like, first off, you're an officer. Your job is to teach. Yeah. If they don't know how to chart, start a chainsaw, teach them how to start a chainsaw man honestly you're in a better position because you don't have to overcome bad habits you're instilling good habits from the get-go but i think uh, and a lot of times our ego the the longer we're in the fire service the bigger our ego gets Mm. and we're like we know everything blah 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 and we don't we really don't if you think you know everything in this fire department come to fdic i promise you that'll change your mind but we got we got to treat these people uh with the respect and humility that we should because they're they're our brothers and sisters they're not punching bags and i guarantee you if you grew up in the time frame we did we didn't like it why would we you know keep doing that so i get mad when i think about that stuff
0: sorry no no it's it's you know it's a good conversation to have both you know whether you're a a training officer um whether you're a company officer whether you're a battalion chief whether you're just another firefighter who's got somebody new that you're to work with and you know and we're fortunate the in our organizations we we run a you know true fire academy we have our, we bring our folks in we we have a, a significant amount of time to actually focus on teaching them the skills and the way we want them to do the skills and the terminology we want them to use and, and those that sort of thing a lot of departments don't have that whether it's a small you know smaller career department whether it's a volunteer department they don't have that luxury of running an academy and having right. a captive audience right so right. you know in the case of a, of a volunteer organization or a paid on call or something mm-hmm. like that it might be a You know the every Saturday from eight to four, we're we're going to run our fire academy, or Wednesday nights, or whatever your you know whatever your drill night is, and and you know it's important for for us as instructors to know, regardless of how small or large our organization is, that that we've got to be first, we've got to know our audience, right? Yes, as you mentioned earlier, and you know in this more and more people we see them here, and I know you see them, and you know it's all over the country, it's we're not getting folks who who were in the trades before they came on the fire department like we used to. It's, yes. it's you know, we're getting college educated. Uh, I mean, I, we've had lawyers, we've had um, accountants, we've had CPAs, you know, um, we've got people with master's degrees that come through our academies now, you know, and it's, it's that aspect of it has in some ways created challenges for us because mm-hmm. as you said, you know, some of these people don't have the, the hands-on skills, the, that the wrench turning wrenches and knowing how to start a chainsaw and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, they're extremely intelligent, Mm -hmm. um, very bright. And one thing that um, we have in the, and and I feel it's a great thing. I'm not, I'm not going to downplay it, but as instructors today, we've never been fact checked more than we (laughs) are now because we can be teaching a class and we can say that in 1923, you know this, 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 and happened, and because of this, this is where the, why the fire service is the way it is today. Some student in our class or recruit, if they have access to their cell phone, they're looking at it. Is going to look it up, right? Yep, absolutely. And uh, and so, not only do you have to be on point as far as being knowing your audience, but you also have to be on point with the information you're providing because they're going to fact check you. Not right. every time, maybe, but um, in many instances, they're going to say, "Eh, you know the." I was looking at this, and I know you said it turned. You know, it's a counterclockwise thread, but this, you know, yeah. article says it's not counterclockwise; it's clockwise. So, which is it? And then you end up, if you're not ready, you look, you know, yeah, you end up with egg on your face. So,
1: and there's a lot of value as an instructor or a company officer going, "I don't know," or even yeah, better, exactly. "I was wrong."
0: You know, yeah. oh,
1: I was wrong, but thank you for giving that information. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody knows me, knows I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to admit it um, yeah. but yeah that you're exactly right it, the generational differences kill me because here's the phrase I cannot stand is when somebody says this this younger generation I, I, in the fire service I'm, they're, they're killing us mm-hmm. I'm like they're absolutely not. The problem is your ego is so big you're not willing to learn the differences they bring so much value to what we do we have to embrace their side if your ultimate goal is to make a better a, a, a better community, and you work backwards from that. Then you got to have a better fire department. You got to have better leadership. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to understand that you're going to have to understand and work with different generations. And it's not a bad thing. And just be open minded, learn about uh, the generational differences, because that's what mm-hmm. we're talking about. Right. And I think each generation brings value. And uh, like you said, we're getting smarter firefighters. Mm-hmm. We're getting. If they have a college education, I don't care what it's in. That is showing me they had, they showed up in one place for four years mm-hmm. and put in a lot of hard work, and was, they were willing to spend a lot of money. So that shows me drive, passion, and dedication. Mm-hmm. So why would you not want that? I exactly. think I think it's
0: great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've always said that you know I would like to th- think that I'm fairly well educated. I don't know everything, and I'll be the first to admit that I don't know everything. But I've, I've always said that. Um, you do more harm by saying, that, you know, by faking it till you make it, with, yeah. you know, if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, the best thing you can do for your reputation and to make sure that that person gets the correct information is, right. you know what? I don't know, but I know somebody who will. Exactly. That was because, you know, as a chief officer and when I was the chief of training, I, I would tell people, I don't know everything. My responsibility is to know somebody who knows Right. everything, right? So I might know 15 or 20 different people, but between all of them, they're probably going to know... The answer to just about any question that gets asked. If I don't know it, right? Absolutely. So, being able being humble enough to say that, you know, just because you got bars or bugles on your uniform doesn't mean that you're the be all, end all, know all. Just
1: (laughs) no. It means you're the guy that's not afraid to stand up in front of people trying to help. Right. And um, but you know what? Another thing too is is to be if you if you want your department to have a really good uh, training program okay, you have to be a good student. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we think about that enough is that if you go to your trainings and you're sitting like this mm-hmm. and you're not listening and you're trying to always create a problem, mm-hmm. then you are a problem in the training, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, we see this all the time as instructors is you see the guy like here or he's on his phone, you know, and mm-hmm. the, or the guy that's just waiting to find something wrong with what you said. Mm-hmm. i I. I been really thinking about this a lot lately. Is that you know it's not on the training officer to create a great training culture. It really isn't. He might be the pilot of the plane, but it's it's the the people. It's the officers. They're setting the tone. If they're bad mouthing training, if they're trying to make the training officer look bad, then they are creating the very problem they like to complain about. I had a guy in one of my classes. I was teaching a class. Let's just say the class was on on ladders. It was. We'll call it ladder training. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular subject, I was not really good on, and I mm-hmm. kind of avoided it for a while. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? I need to get better at this. So I learned ladders, mm-hmm. and I learned a ton about them, and it made me a better person, I think. Mm-hmm. Walking to the class the first time, there is an officer with a book, and the book was all about ladders. It wasn't. But it was a book on the subject I was teaching. Yeah. And I looked at it, and I said, well, what do you got there? He goes, it was the something Bible is what it was, a mm-hmm. ladder Bible. Yeah. And he said, oh, I got this because I'm going to get you today. I'm going to catch you today. That's how he said he meant it. That's mm-hmm. what he wanted to do. That set the tone for the rest of the class. Now, I got lucky uh, and did not get busted by it. Mm-hmm. But that was an officer. Now, his backpack, he, do you think that officer was bragging about bringing that ladder book to get me before the class? I guarantee you was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's making a big spectacle. You know, look at me, look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. And it drives me nuts and got me thinking. I'm like, you know, there is a responsibility for the students to Mm -hmm. make that training culture and to support training. And, I, I, you know, I know you see this in your own department. You Mm -hmm. might not have that, but you go train somewhere else and you got nothing but great help. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no one's a profit in their own land. Yeah. So I think that's really important to training is for students to realize they have a huge part to play. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they do. Um, You know, I think it's as you said, it's important to to drive that culture. Um, I think that, you know, really, I've always advocated for this is, as you said, the, it's not the training officer's responsibility to make a culture of training, but, you know, you hear officers say, well, you know, you this group of recruits or this one particular recruit doesn't know anything. Well, I beg to differ, they do know something, Are they the, or maybe they weren't the strongest recruit or maybe they're not the strongest probie, but, you know, rather than complaining to me about it, what are you doing about it, right? And right. and I know that, that I see this a lot, you know, not just with recruits, but you have a battalion chief or a company officer come to you and they say, so-and-so is a horrible engineer, you know, can't put the apparatus in pump, you know, gets lost, doesn't know their. You know, how many hand lines they got off. Um, you know, they need to go back through training. Well, maybe they do, but what have you done? Don't make the default, don't make your your problem my problem, you right. know. What's the, um, you know, what have you done, Lieutenant, Captain, Chief, um, leading up to you contacting me? If you've done all those things, then I would say that maybe that person needs to, you know, go through some remedial training with one of our, you know, academy instructors, potentially. Right. But don't make the default to punt, right? We, you know. First, first, you know, first ten don't punt to us just because you don't want to, you know. So, you know, being a training division, get former training division guy, I can say that because I had those conversations, and uh, you know, prior to that, I was on the other side of it in the as a company officer, and and having a little bit better understanding than maybe some people do that you've got to do your due diligence and you've got to do the upfront work, and if I've got three or three other people working for me, it's my responsibility to make sure that they know what they're doing because. Mm-hmm. They might screw something up and feel bad about it but it's ultimately that company officer's reputation and that company's reputation that is going to suffer from that right? absolutely so and i you know farther up the food chain to go the the more your reputation depends on the people working for you right
1: yes you notice brotherhood stops uh, brotherhood goes all the way up to the training officer and that's where it stops right. like in the firehouse everybody's helping each other and everything and then but once you eat the training officer level it's like you're not doing this right. You need to do this. You need to fix this. I'm like, yeah. how about we fix this? How about we work on it? Yeah. You know, I've no, I just little things I've noticed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So being here at FDIC, what are some of the, some of the classes that you've taken? Um, some of the people that you've had the opportunity to interact with that you would say, Hey, if you're coming to FDIC, whether this later this week, or, you know, you couldn't make it this year, but you're coming back next year. Where are some areas and things that you f- feel like are worth seeing? I mean, it's all worth seeing, obviously, but oh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, there's certainly folks or classes that stick out to you, or
1: absolutely. Um, uh, the, the one I really wanted to take and I didn't get a chance to, but I encourage everybody to is Coralie Moore's class. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's amazing, he's changing uh, the landscape of the fire service and he's doing it somewhat easily. Um, but when you come to FDIC, here's the beauty of it. You could be a, a new recruit, and you could be a 30-year fire chief, and there's classes here for you. For you, There's things to do. Um, I was thinking about this this morning when I was walking up here. If I go to my fire department, I'm not picking my fire department. I'm using my fire department as an example. If you go to my fire department, you're going to find some people that probably don't want to be there, right? And there's going to be some people that are not engaged in the fire service. You might find people that are just counting down the days so they retire, mm-hmm. So you have that, but when you come here, you have none of that. Everybody yeah. comes here voluntarily because yeah. they love the fire service right. and they're trying to get better. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it should be worn as a badge of honor that you attended FDIC because it is the greatest conference. Period. In yeah. yeah. the story.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. We're lucky to have uh, have those here. I know for me, it's uh, I got I, you know I get a lot out of uh, Phil. Joe does a really good job mm-hmm. with his. Uh, smoke reading class and, uh, um, certainly Mo Davis, uh, oh, who's, yeah. who's his, his. you know, this is Mo Mo's here for the first time this year, Corley Moore, I would agree. Oh, yeah. does a lot of stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of just really good classes and there's, and certainly there's the, you know, quote unquote, big names that we right. all kind of, you know, you say their name and you immediately recognize who they are, where they're from, what department they're with. Yeah. But there are so many people, teaching classes here you wouldn't be teaching here if you weren't tier one right i mean mean, let's be honest you know um you're here because you've got something to offer the fire service whether you work for a very small fire department or you work for a very large fire department right whether you've got 10 years on the job or 30 years on the job so you're going to get something out of any class you take regardless of where you know what the topic is here right um but it's good. You know, it's it's just unbelievable. If you've never been to, to FDIC and you, you're in, in the fire service, you know, beg borrowers, steal, figure out a way to get here um, because everybody, every firefighter should experience it at least once. Oh, yeah. Um, it's know. amazing. Yeah. So let's go back to yeah. uh, pivot back over to kind of like our first topic we started off with. We were talking about the science. And for those of you that don't know, I had Jake on last month on the show um, or two months ago now, I guess it mm-hmm. was. And um, you know, and we talked about basement fires and and fighting basement fires and some of the science and uh that goes along with that. And I was fortunate enough to to sit through Jake's basement fire class. They came uh, his crew came to Indianapolis um a couple of years ago now, maybe. Yes, sir. I think two or three two two three years ago. At least you know, I say, Well, it was just last year and then you'll say, No, no, it was three years ago or something. So I you know, it's just time runs away from us. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, I know it was the last couple of years. Um his group came in and, and you've done that all over the country, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've done it in New York city, you've done it in Philadelphia. Now you did it for us. You've done it for a lot of big departments and, and smaller departments, mm-hmm. you know, alike. but, um, you know, just all that information that you can provide. And, you know, we talked about earlier about making the training relevant, right? Yeah. We don't have to put and, and your group was a perfect example of that we didn't have to put people in a basement fire, to talk about basement fire stuff. You know, we had that yeah. little classroom demonstration part. Um, had those
1: little skill stations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you haven't had the chance to take that class, I would encourage you to do that. Um, but you know, from a scientific perspective, again, talk to, you know, explain to the audience a little bit about those, those, um, experiments that we did in class with the candles and burning the wood and oh, all yeah. you know, that sort of stuff.
1: So the ISFSI, uh, International Society of Fire Service Instructors, again, work hand-in-hand with FSRI. So all Mm -hmm. this information comes straight to us, and then we were able to develop these classes. Well, for the 1700 class and the basement fire, we have like a fire dynamics lab. Mm -hmm. And it candles and uh, like steel wool and cotton and small pieces of of wood. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what these... uh, program developers have come up with to teach conduction convection radiation mm-hmm. uh and you know uh, and the importance of, of mass and, and and the effects of fire on that it is i've had candle classes before you know like mm-hmm. okay uh, this is convection this you know but this is uh, they they've designed a great course so yeah we we did that for the basement fire class and um it's that crawl we we talked about this earlier crawl walk run right mm-hmm. that should be your goal as a mm-hmm. training officer yeah. and I think the ISFSI almost exclusively builds their stuff under that crawl, walk, run uh, idea, but they can do it within two days. So if you remember, that was a two day class. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up with live fire at the end And uh, I got to learn. Every time I teach that class, I learn something new and different. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that basic fire is a great class. We have that science to back up what we're doing. 1700 is the same way. 1700, uh, a newer standard, the Guide to Structural Firefighting, uh, incorporates that science stuff. There's a lot on ventilation. We talked about ventilation Mm -hmm. earlier. And there are some old things that I thought were never going to happen again. But science is now coming back and saying we can... Yeah, you can you can do this uh, positive pressure attack. You know that used to be a thing uh, 25, 30 years ago, and now it's coming back uh, mm-hmm. based on science. So yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great thing. You you can do all kinds of things uh, with a candle experiment, and it sets the tone for the rest of the day. So now when you're going to the next station, there's a bunch of people. Uh, then you go to that next station. You've already got that knowledge. You're preloaded, and then uh-huh. you're like you can apply it on a bigger scale. And then by day two, you're in that, that fire, yeah. live fire, doing the basement fire, and it applies just as well. So, yeah, we go around the country and, and teach us everywhere, and we don't change that course for the department, right? We don't go mm-hmm. to, like, to, to FD1 and say, oh, we got to do this special. Or, we, you know, we don't go mm-hmm. to a small town, USA, and say, we gotta, we got to change this. We take the same information, the same class, and it's received the same way every yeah. time. It's easy to sell something when you get when you're backing it up with science. Mm-hmm.
0: It right? is, yeah. And I went through that. when I went to um, one of the initial um, programs that they offered in Howard County, Maryland, mm-hmm. um, that Dan Majikowski and uh, Steve Kerber did um, uh, through the ISFSI mm-hmm. um, on all the fire behavior. And I just remember, you know, something as simple as burning, burning Styrofoam, and and just all that little. Stuff that we did, you know, and, yeah. and using the, the wire mesh to show what, what the does to the flame and everything. It was just, just like, this is this is cheap. I could do, yes, like, give me 20 bucks and I can go to Dollar General and I can get all this stuff and we can, you know, just learn and, all this from it. It's
1: and the beauty cool. of it is too, like for new recruits, it's invaluable. But you take somebody that's been on the job 10, 12 years mm-hmm. and they, they've been in enough fire now that when you burn a piece of styrofoam and that dark black soot starts coming off of it. Mm-hmm. They immediately go. I've been in that fire. Okay. Well, what was burning? Oh, it was a, it was a couch. Right. Uh, well, there you go. You're ba- you're you're really tying it in perfectly. with That stuff. I'd love to take credit for that, but man, it's not me. That's that's the no. people that design our programs, mm-hmm. and like you said, Madrakowski and them yeah. doing all the the hard work for us.
0: Yeah. We just got to like deliver it. Right. No, it's it's great. So. I'm less familiar with the 1700 program that mm-hmm. you guys are starting to do. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what all that encompasses? And yes,
1: it's amazing. If you're a training officer, uh, 1700 is what you want. It's called a Guide to Structural Firefighting, and it it came out in 2019, so it's not like it's been revised a bunch of times. It's brand new, and it's mm-hmm. and it's rooted in that science that we like so much. Uh, and there's uh, it, it talks about everything. So if you're a training officer. Uh, and you're like, okay, what do we need to work on? You've got a very wide blueprint and you got the science to back it up. If you want to just do ventilation, you want to just, okay, just read the ventilation chapter and apply that. Uh, If you want to apply all of it, the very last chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 13, it's called how to implement 1700. And there's a 12 step process. So, I mean, it is one of the neatest standards I think there is. I'm kind of, I'm a nerd. I love that kind of stuff uh so you could actually take that 1700 give it to a training person and say okay you're a brand new training person here's the basics man here it is mm-hmm. right here and then of course you have chapter two i believe it's a reference publication so all the stuff that was was built it was built with you can go back there yeah, it's, i love it i love it uh, i get to teach it uh, in olathe kansas here in two weeks and then in uh, prescott valley's timber i believe so i get kind of excited teaching that stuff it's great
0: And you get to see the country.
1: And I get to see the country. I do. I do. I love it. I I hate flying. I used to have to uh, be somewhat impaired to fly, and then I just quit flying altogether. And then my doctor just said, hey, you know what? Um, You could actually take a Valium and fly. It'd be okay. And I'm like, what? If it wasn't for that, I couldn't be doing it. I I hate, I cannot stand to fly. Really? Yes, I cannot do it. So now, before I fly, I I take like a little half of Valium. I get on the plane, no problems. I'm not like... And then I can do what yeah. I want to do because I'm telling you, it's not for me. Yeah. It's not, it's just like my first marriage, man. It's just not, it's not for <laughs> me, man. It's just ain't for me.
0: Yeah. as the the 1700 class. Is it a two day class also? It's or? a two day
1: class. Uh, it isn't live fire, but it's, it's, it's very uh, like the basement fire. you got a lot of skill based, uh, rotations and then you come together for a great big scenario with ves and hose movement and uh hydraulic ventilation and uh, uh you have a command part of it and you're rotating mm-hmm. through it uh, it is really really neat. Nice. It's, it's neat to see it all come together uh, in those two days and uh it's uh, it's really good really good Yeah,
0: good all right well uh we're getting close to wrapping up here so uh got any final thoughts any words of wisdom for the audience well I'd like to point
1: out I've got a big ego so I've got to point out that I'm the first two-time fishbowl podcast person yes so I'm looking at getting a tattoo on my neck that says that thank you uh maybe I could be on a few more I don't know how this is happening to me but yeah I like to brag on that um what else uh Listen to Hooks and Hoses. Uh, great podcast. Thank you. Uh, love it very much. I was fortunate enough that I know you before the podcast. Yeah. So I, you're so genuine and authentic. I think that's what helps your podcast. That's why I really, really like it. And I love your topics on there too. So you, people have to listen to that. And I think uh, it's it's absolutely made for the training officer. I really think a training officer needs to listen to that. And, and they're going to learn an awful lot about it.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Other than that, I don't know what else to tell you. We had to bring... we. He wouldn't fit through the door, so we had to put, had to get two straight ladders and crisscross them to get over the walls. If his head was too wide. First I mean.
1: two-time fishbowl podcast. I think mm-hmm. I should have a trophy or something. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> you'll have to talk to the ladies out there about that. Yeah.
1: I don't think so. you'll let me come back on ever again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Jake, really appreciate you being here, man. Thank you so it's much. Been it's a been lot been of fun.
1: Absolute honor. And thank you, know? you all for letting me do this yeah.
0: again. Thanks. Yeah. And you know, Jake and I've. Seems like lately we've been seeing seeing more and more of each other. Yeah, um, tell them what
1: we're going to be doing today at one o'clock.
0: Well, I'm going to be doing a podcast for Jake here at one o'clock. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about the new uh, fire Indianapolis Fire Department training tower produced by Fire Facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing place, yeah, great place. Uh, I may have had a little bit to do with it, um,
1: <laughs> or or everything uh, to do with it. <laughs> well,
0: some, yes. Anyway. Um, So as we wrap up today, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, I'm Eric Dryman, host of the Hooks and Hoses podcast, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you all out at FDIC and uh, tune in for the the, uh, episodes of Hooks to Hoses to come. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good day.